So today's guest has 172 caps for Ireland, uh, has played for Syracuse in the USA, is a World Cup silver medalist, uh, been playing for Pembroke for the last few years. Her name is Jill Pinder. Jill, welcome. Thanks for having me, Simon. Great to be here. No problem. Lovely to have you. Um, so we'll, we'll dive straight in, sort of go back to go back a little bit, take us back. Where did you start your hockey? I started hockey uh, actually in primary school. I think you and I went to the same primary school, Simon. Uh, so that would have been first class. So you're probably, what, five or six years old in um, in first class, getting out onto the grip pitch and rat down before they kind of had the nicer two ones laid. And uh, that's where it all started for me. I remember my very first session that actually doubled up the pitch and we, we learned how, to, you know, left hand goes on top, you know, um, down on the tennis court, did rat down. So that's where, that's where it all began many, many years ago now. I remember those days all too well. Uh, I'm pretty sure your dad coached me at some point along the way as well in uh, with Gordon Watkins and everyone up in uh, up in Rathdown. It was always great crack. Um, so then take us on a little bit. You've been playing since quite a young age. You then moved on to so your primary school. Uh, where did you then go after that? Did you start playing in secondary school first or did you start playing in club first? Um, I think I probably played under 12s in club with Hermes, which was on a Sunday morning up in UCD. And that was probably just coming towards the end of primary school into secondary school um, where I went to St. Andrews and, uh, you know, massive, massive hockey school. And it all kind of took off from there. So I just loved it. And, and I, when I was kind of that young, I was balancing it with a couple of other sports that I played um, as well as probably most kids do when they're that young and then very quickly once I started into St Andrews decided no hockey's the one I want to focus on and that's where I turned my attention to. Interesting you say that because we've had we had Mark Ingram on and he he very much was the was a different one where he uh, didn't like specify in his sport until much later on was it just the draw of hockey was just you, this was it you had to play the sport um, and it was very clear cut that you're like, nah, forget about the rest. Or how did that come about? Um, I think I, I, the, my main two were probably playing uh, hockey and uh, football. Um, which played with uh, Joey's and Sally Noggin for many years and Calvin Teeley as well. Um, so I think I probably played under up until under 14s. And then you're probably coming into junior cert year where, you know, that whip was being cracked and it was a, you know like a dedicate a little bit more time to to your studies and at that stage kind of finishing up with second year and heading into junior third year um that was when I kind of started to make uh, Leinster under 16 teams and the Irish under 16 teams from there so I was so excited with the prospect of that that it just took away my time and you know hockey is usually kind of more of a winter sport when you start to play at that level it rolls into the summer and that's where all the action is. And um, unfortunately that was also the time of the year where I used to play football. So football kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. I haven't really played since I was under 13s or under 14s. Um, but, you know, I absolutely loved hockey and it was all I wanted to do. Um, and I kind of figured that out around about that age, 13, 14. And, and that was just my self-focus from there. So was that taste you straight off into sort of underage setups, as you mentioned, and that, that was your sort of first taste of success or were you winning stuff with Andrews and then that's where you got spotted? How did you, how did that come about? Was it sort of the, the usual into the Leinsters, play the Leinsters on you go into the under 16s or whatever, or, or when did you make that jump into the, those higher levels? I mean, I was fortunate in that um, I was surrounded by a bunch of very talented players um, in the kind of a couple of years above me in St. Andrews. So when I went into the school, they had a track record of, you know, appearing in semifinals and finals and coming home with, with trophies. So when I started to taste that, uh, playing, you know, minor level and junior level, um, I loved it. So I, I, you know, it was easy for say selectors and coaches to spot me because I was getting to the opportunity to play in these finals at that kind of young age um, but I think my, my route as far as I can remember was uh, you know your school submits you to take part in these uh, Leinster trials and I worked my way up from there so um, it was pretty quick and pretty seamless you know at the very beginning and um, as I say kind of got my first kind of role of that when I was in second year and it just took off from there and I, I actually didn't really have a year off then from that which I never would have expected so it, it's uh, took off too long and kind of uh, a healthy career yeah uh, we might come back to to that sort of 
than not having a break really or stepping away. But um, while, while we're there, so did you go then 16s, 18s, 21s, and then into the senior team? Or was there, did you go 16s, 18s, senior team? How did that sort of sort of fold, unfold as it went? Um, I kind of ping-ponged a little bit between a few. So I went 16s, 18s. And then when I was in sixth year, when I was 18, I got my first cap. Um, which was which was young. Well, I was very young, and it was kind of out of the blue, just the circumstances around a number of players um, being injured, and they just basically needed somebody to step in for for a game against France while I was studying at my desk. Um, you know, I'd done a couple of regional sessions with the Leinster race-based Irish girls um, across fifth year, and and they had gone centralised then to try and qualify for the London Olympics while I was in sixth year, and I, I just couldn't commit to that program because. I was in Leavenster year so um they kind of they'd see me train a little bit the year before and 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 nearly randomly just at my desk one day studying I got a call from Gene Muller I thought he'd pocket dialed me but um yeah he was like you want to come and play against France tomorrow get your first cap so I was like, yeah of course I do why not um so I kind of went yeah from 16s to 18s got the senior cap went back down to 21s and then kind of finally broke into the senior squad then um, in 2013, where, you know, I just became a regular in terms of selections for tournaments and, and trips. That's that's pretty class. I think <laughs> you're just sitting there. You're studying in a way. You got leaving cert on the horizon and you're just like, ah, do you want to come play against France? That's pretty slick. I know. Nice little story. Yeah. That's a nice story. Yeah, very cool. Um, did you, did it take a hit then? You, obviously you start, you start pretty high and then it's like, oh, I have to go back to the 21s. Was there any adjustment period there or was it pretty much just like counting your lucky stars that you got the first one anyway, and then went about your business? Um, I, I was, I was delighted. I, you know, not many people get a cap that young. Um, so I, I was shocked at myself and, you know, getting a taste for what the setup was like and the standard that you can play with you know I, I did go back down to 21s then later on that summer once I finished my exams but it was kind of like yeah I'm at 21s but my real kind of goals and real aspirations are to break into that team so it kind of gave me like a little taste but it wasn't giving me the full experience which I wanted so it kind of just acted like a that's where I want to go and, and let's get there and I probably have to do a little bit more time with the underage setup before I'm ready to you know, join as, as a full member. Yeah, it sounds like it really catalyzed that. It gave you enough, like you said, it was a taste, enough to give you the hunger, keep working where you're not getting, you know, maybe too complacent or too too uh, cocky is probably the wrong word, but it, it allows you that that uh, that hunger. I think hunger is probably the best way of saying it. it gives you that hunger to kind of kick on and be like, no, that's where I'm going. I know it, it did for sure. But at the same time, you know, I probably got that cap without you know doing a huge amount of work in terms of I wasn't training I wasn't really in the gym and um, I maybe thought at some level oh it's easy to just step into the squad look I did it for this one match and that was in 2011 and as I've just said I you know I, I didn't really break into the squad till 2013 which was kind of two years then of training and um, you know being nearly the human cone for want of a better word making up the numbers on the teams whenever somebody was carrying a little bit of an injury um so i kind of then did my time of the early mornings the running sessions and then missing out on selection for everything that followed pretty much in kind of a, a an 18 month period after that first cap um so um you know it was great to get my foot in the door but i i wasn't allowed all the way in for a while no, but I suppose it's a nice way to pay your dues. While that was going on, club-wise, were you were you playing senior club then with Hermes, did, or did you, for those 21 years, did you go straight to UCD, or how did that work out? Because I know you did a stint in Syracuse as well, as we mentioned in the in the intro. How did that those few years all sort of coalesce and come together? Yeah, so when I I think uh, the age you had to be was 16 for playing senior level, and um, so I played for a couple of years with Hermes and and. Um, was really the youngster coming on to give the more experienced players a little bit of a break and just gaining some exposure at top club level hockey in Ireland. Um, and and again, like I, I loved it. I just wanted to get more and more minutes. I kind of got a lucky break when a couple of the 
team all went on maternity leave at about the same time. So it kind of left this gaping hole in midfield for me to, to gain my opportunity, which I probably mightn't have got um, had those not been the circumstances. So I played there for a couple of years and then I did a year in the States and I came back to do my degree in UCD, um, which I played for four years prior to, to coming to Pembroke. And that's where I am now. Nice. How did the how did the stint how did you find the stint in the states? It's always a different ball game when you come from Irish hockey. Yeah, yeah, it's totally different. You know, it, it wasn't actually something that I was looking to do. I, I was more chatting with a friend um, on Facebook or something um, who was already in the states, already in Syracuse, and you know, I was saying I wasn't too happy in the course that I was doing and you know, I have this passion for hockey, and she kind of said, "Well, why don't you send over a video?" I'll get a couple of clips of yourself playing. I'll pass them on to my coach and, you know, go from there. So, you know, I didn't really think much of it, but I did. I put together probably about a, a two-minute video clip of myself playing, sent it over, and next thing, you know, there was talk of let's move to New York, let's go to Syracuse, let's see where that opportunity takes me. And, and I and I took it pretty quickly. And at the time, I wasn't um, – I was training with the Irish squad, but I wasn't getting a look in really. So I thought, you know, let's let's give it a go. And uh, off I went then the following year. Well, is there anything you've taken away from from that stint that has sort of carried forward into your into your playing or or even just your, I suppose, attitude? Because I know the American side is they love their their mental stuff and they love their fitness and a bit of ooh yeah. all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, I learned a lot of lessons over there. I think I learned to grow up a good bit. It was the first time that I had lived away from home um, in a different country. And I think when you come in from a European country, you come in a little bit more mature than, say, the the girls who have come from high school level and you come in at a higher standard of hockey as well. So I was playing serious minutes the whole time I was there, which was great. But the... The setup is totally different. Their idea of high performance is different. And collegiate sports in the States are the be-all and end-all. And everything is done for results. Um, so I learned, you know, uh, very quickly that I needed to get my fitness levels to a certain standard. I was pushed beyond what I thought I was going to have to do. It was, it was very difficult to manage academics with the kind of sides of the sport that was just simply demanded of us uh, obviously the states is, is quite big and when you travel for away games you kind of you leave on a wednesday you play a friday you play a sunday you come back and you know it, it just it's a really demanding environment but their season is so compacted and um, you can start maybe the end of august and if you go all the way to the ncaa finals which i was fortunate enough to find myself in um you go to thanksgiving so you have this super super intense compacted season and you're burnt out by the end of it and you need a break before then you go again into essentially a spring season which is um building a team for the following year so um i learned to deal with a lot of difficult people i learned to push myself in ways i didn't think i would be able to but in ultimately um i was beginning to be noticed as somebody who could earn a spot in the Irish team and that ended up being the, the primary reason as to why I came home I just I couldn't compete for Ireland um, if I was living in New York yeah that's fair and that's a big that's a big commitment at that stage if you're already on the cusp to then sort of say ah oh, yeah but I have to put pause on this for another four years like I can imagine that that was a no-brainer really in that well uh, Irish or especially seeing as how you mentioned like from a young age you kind of knew you had that early cap, you'd had that taste. You get that, and it's like, oh, three years of this, mm, maybe not. But you can see maybe how it's informed you, and you bring a, a new level, I suppose, of a athleticism coming back into a into a high performance setup. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd say? Like, I know there's there's quite a few few people over here that do think about going to play in the states, but I don't know they necessarily get the full picture going over, and, and you might. You might end up repeating yourself a little bit and that's okay, but is there anything you'd say to anyone who is thinking of doing it, just the hazards or what to be prepared for most? 
Yeah, I mean, I've there's a number of, of players that I've played with uh, in the Irish setup since coming home who spent the full four years in America getting a degree. And um, I had the opportunity, of course, to do that as well. But it's for me, it was a real love-hate experience in that, so, you know, the way you're treated as a student athlete, the facilities and the staff that you have exposure to to help you perform on match day and essentially to, to win trophies, win medals, win trophies, um, surpasses what we offer in Ireland at club level, which I suppose is the equivalent. So, you know, it's very cool. You meet people from all different walks of life and you're exposed to um, a lot of things that you wouldn't be exposed to here. But, you know, to a certain degree, like they kind of own you, like they're paying for your scholarship to go over there and they dictate what you do, when you do it, for how long do you do it. And um, and I just felt like they owned my freedom to a, to a certain degree and I wasn't free to, you know, live my life nearly how I wanted to do it. Of course, I wanted it to involve hockey and get my degree, but I, you know, I didn't have time really to be hanging out with friends and to make um, those connections with people who were outside of the kind of athletics world, which was, as I've kind of come to know, a very important part of being able to play at a top level is, is having that time to switch off and to surround yourself with people who aren't involved. Um, and I just didn't have that over in the States. And the other thing that you definitely have to watch out for when you're going over is uh, that your degree transfers back so you can use it when you come home. I think that's caught a couple of people. That's a big one to look out for. That is that is very good advice. That's one I haven't heard so far. And and gee, imagine spending that time and, and then that's what happens. It's funny how our perspective on college and stuff is so different because obviously, you know, we, we get so much of it paid for and then they're looking at you on a scholarship. I presume scholarship. And it's like, well, you, you're 50 grand a year. So that's how we look at it. And we, like you said, they own you at the end of the day, because it is a different ball game over there in the way they have their system set up that we Irish players maybe are a little oblivious to, because we're quite blessed with how our system is set up over here. Um, we'll jump ahead a little bit. Then you come back from the States and Ireland is back on the cards and you're into UCD. Obviously, won you won in Syracuse. You won. Were you were you winning trophies with Hermes before you left? Were you a part of that group? Uh, I was a yeah. I was on the bench. I didn't play a huge amount of minutes, but yeah, I was in the squad when they were successful. So you're around trophies there. You're around trophies in Syracuse. You come back to UCD and you're part of that sort of. I, I don't know if dynasty is the right word, but that sort of super <laughs> UCD team of of four or five years. Were you there for the most of that? Were you at the tail end of that? Were you right in the middle? How did that unfold? Yeah, in terms of UCD, I think I was I was right in the middle of it. Um, again, really fortunate to have been playing with some of the players um, that were in UCD, getting their education at the same time that I was getting mine. So, you know, we had um, we just had a great group of players, and it's it's a different dynamic when you're playing with a college team then when you're playing with a club team and, and both have pros and cons to it but this like you know playing with everyone who's the same age as you at the same stage of life um there's something special about it and it's something that maybe on the club scene because the the age profiles and the life stages are so different um between you know kids coming in from fourth year fifth year sixth year and then people playing who who maybe have already started a family like it's a huge big age gap and it's you know playing in UCD was was brilliant and it, it was just literally like playing with your mates I suppose it affords you that little bit more focus it's probably as close as you can get to sort of maybe the uh higher performance stuff that you might hope that Irish hockey clubs and their first teams get to at some point but I suppose does that did that afford you maybe a little bit more um cohesion with with Irish stuff as well in that you know you're their Irish hockey were based out of UCD at the time um where you, you had access to the like the high performance gym and stuff so did you find that being in UCD helped dovetail with Irish hockey more than if you'd been in another club 
Yeah, I, I think it did. Um, it did for me and mine for everybody. You know, I, I was studying business and law, so all my lectures were on one side of campus and the sports side of campus is, is on the other side. So, you know, in the gyms early in the morning, um, a couple of times a week, and then, you know, straight over to lectures or, or a bit of study or spend some time of the year, maybe just having a couple of coffees with your mates. Um, but then, you know, it's just a 10 minute stroll then over to the hockey pitch and I suppose the main benefit then of, of being able to play with UCD is that everybody is um, is in college so you don't have to kind of delay training time until a little bit later to cater for people who are coming from jobs you know across Dublin or wherever they might be coming from so you know finish lectures at you know three four five whatever it was and just head over to training then at um, at six o'clock and also I suppose when the weather gets a bit poor you you get your chest you get your sessions in without having to deal with possibly frozen pitches and the lights um, and then I suppose just playing on that pitch like day in day out and as you say the national t- setup was was based out of UCD so I just knew the the setup very very well knew the pitch well and um, was just in real comfortable um environment around UCD the training times I suppose is is a huge one because like it's ideal for recovery and everything like there's nothing mm-hmm. worse than I suppose you're, you're used to experiencing it now then the club where you don't get off the pitch until 10 o'clock and if you have to talk to someone it's 10 15 maybe even 10 30 you're home you're barely showered and eating by 11 and then you have to try and switch off which mm-hmm. I can only imagine and I found this myself like you're up you're up to past midnight. That's not conducive to your recovery. Like you can see, you can see the the impact that it must have had because you guys were sort of the best around. That group of players really was the kind of best, freshest. They were always performing and really consistent, which I think probably feeds into that a little bit. So then you're you back into the Irish setup. Then um, there were you back in in time to try to compete for uh, qualification for London. Or you, or sorry, you said 2013, so you're a little bit later on than that. Yeah, I was doing my leaving search when uh, the qualification for London was happening, so I kind of, you know, ha- had two goes, two Olympic cycles. Uh, the first of which being the Rio cycle, and then the the Tokyo cycle. That's a little bit more delayed now. Yes, of course, that's a that's a another issue. So that that Rio cycle, that that was before the World Cup, right? That was before the World Cup, yeah. So that would have been uh, 2015, looking to have qualified for 2016 Olympics, but um, it wasn't to be. Um, but bizarrely, you know, that that was probably when I found myself playing some of my best hockey and when I was enjoying it the most. And I didn't, I was in college uh, and didn't have the kind of outside pressures of of careers and making money and moving out of the house, family home and, you know, all these type of additional things that kind of fell on my lap then, you know, later on. Um, so I was just really relaxed, really enjoying my time. And as a result, just playing, playing some really nice hockey. Um, you know, I, I look back and, you know, it's awful memories when you realize you're not, you're not going to, to the Olympics and, and losing on such fine margins. Um, you know, and it took a while to get over. And sometimes when you allow yourself to think back and really get immersed in those feelings and and playing back some of those matches and some of those opportunities, um, it still is a bitter pill to swallow. Um, but I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the hockey. I enjoyed the company. Um, and I just enjoyed the space that my life was in at the time. So um, I'm still, you know, think I'm very fortunate to have been involved in something like that, even though we didn't achieve the desired outcome. Do you think that then fueled you to then push on and qualify the World Cup and fuel that to what was a two-year cycle of qualification? Yeah, it, it did. It it um that was a that was a tricky summer because we just not qualified for Rio and yet we had to go and play in a Europeans. You know, I think it was it was only about three or four weeks afterwards, and um, it was a B division Europeans. You you pretty much have to win it to get promoted back up into A division. So. You know, in terms of the quality of hockey, we were the best team there and we ended up winning it, winning the whole tournament, you know, relatively easily. But um, it was the mental state that we were in 
that was my first taste of not getting something that I really wanted. And some players in the group who were um, a little bit older than me and had a little, had more experience in terms of the cycle, being involved in the cycle before I was. Um, but that was my first kind of taste of you got to look after the mental side of things and the psychological aspect of the game. Whereas I'd just been happy as Larry, a little kid coming in um, just doing what she loved. And I just, I didn't have time for that side. And that was probably the first time where I started to see the value of it and started to see the impact that it was having on people. Um, so we needed a bit of time away from the group, I think, to just collect yourselves, to do whatever it was you were doing, whether it was finishing a degree, whether it was starting a career, whatever, different people are in different circumstances. So I think we needed a bit of time away to progress these other areas of our life to enable us to come back in and then put the same effort and the same dedication in terms of uh, time commitments and and the effort that you put into in all aspects of your life trying to get yourself in a position where you do qualify for one of these tournaments so with that um couple of months we got a bit of a headspace but you know it came at cost as well you come in you know fitness levels would be dropped off a little bit and you'd have to spend a little bit of time getting them back up and injuries and, and all the rest of it as is the case in in most sports um so it, it was a good experience and, it, and it, I definitely wanted to give it another go, but it, it was a bit tougher than just keep going. Yeah, fair. And did you do, did you do much? Did you delve into much of the sports psychology sort of side of things to try and help uh, with mental health and stuff going after that? Or was it just more that you guys got the bit of a break and kind of appreciated the fact that, yeah, okay, I've got to take care of it. Or did you actually do start going actively going out and, and working on that kind of stuff? Um, I think different people um, were more involved or less involved in kind of looking after mental health and leaning in with, with sports psychologists. It's, it's definitely an area that I think uh, with in, increased support and increased availability of people that can help you, you know, it would benefit um, not only hockey teams, but just Irish athletes in general. And um, I think it's a, it's an area of the game that's really overlooked. And as I say, as a young player, I really didn't give it a second thought and only later on do I see the value of it. Um, so, you know, I probably would have liked a little bit, a little bit more support and a little bit more um, understanding of what was going on as a wider team, because people, who were now coming into the squad from uh, to, to attempt to qualify for the World Cup and then for the next Olympics, people were coming from such different angles. You had, you had a couple of the older members of the squad who this was their second failed Olympic attempt. Um, there was other players such as myself that we'd, I'd only experienced the one and I was still ready to go. There was other players who were coming in who hadn't got a single cap and we didn't quite bridge that gap of merging the three different um, ways that players were feeling together and when we did kind of have those sessions it was like oh I didn't realize that was how you're feeling or you know I didn't even know that you were thinking like that and it kind of broadens your eyes um, and the way you think and the way you interact with people because you just have a broader understanding of what different people are going through and I think at that time um, during my playing career and my involvement with the national team it wasn't done enough. Yeah, the those are those are three hard sort of places to come from to to balance, and the only way you can do that is with with sitting down and understanding where where everyone is coming from. Um, but then that obviously well, it worked because you then went on to qualify for the World Cup and then become a World Cup silver medalist. Tell us maybe a little bit about the process in the run up to the World Cup. Like how how were how were things in camp? How were you feeling? Were you were you feeling that like was a building could you feel that coming yeah I, I mean um for so long in Irish sport the goal is you know trying to qualify trying to qualify and then all of a sudden we were qualified and um I'd say people sometimes didn't think about oh I've actually achieved this goal I've been reaching for for however many years your career has gone on so far what do we do now we're actually going and it was a real shift in uh, we don't want to just go and you know make up the numbers. We want to see if we can compete. We set ourselves goals, and um, the, as we got closer to 
the World Cup starting, you know, the, the program became clear and we had an awful lot of practice games and training sessions and just a lot more in general contact time together. But um, the atmosphere probably was a little bit different because all of a sudden this is really the one you're gonna, you want to be selected for. And of course, only 18 people are going as always, um, if not, if not 16. So um, it was touchy for a while. And then as soon as the squad does get announced, you're kind of, you, you shouldn't be, but you're like, oh, I, I need to be careful now. I don't want to pick up an injury because there's no time to get over it. So um, I know when you're when you're meeting with the this, this psychologist and you're doing these like team workshops, you do address these kind of things and you can't um, train for the month and the build up to a World Cup in bubble wrap and maybe put on a bit of goalie gear as an outfielder. You can't do that. But um those thoughts and those, those feelings do go through your head. Um, I know for myself in the build-up to the World Cup, I was nursing a, an Achilles injury that had kept me out of a number of games um, while everybody was fighting for um, for a spot on that team sheet. Um, so I, I remember kind of being in Pembroke and the girls are playing a, a practice match against somebody and I was sitting outside it and I had to kind of pass a fitness test in order to keep my dreams alive of going to London. So uh, luckily I did and, and I had great staff working with me um, from a physio point of view, but that was going through my head. You know, how do I make sure I get myself into this while I can't play at the moment? And the, the days are taken ticking ever closer to to kind of squad announcements and all the rest of it but once we got there and we had our group of 18 players um the focus just shifted the mentality and the way we conducted ourselves shifted a little bit do you think there was anything going into that tournament then that was that was done differently from previous um because you guys were in pretty incredible shape going into that that possibly one of the fittest irish teams that we've seen in years um was there a case of you got there, you saw the pattern, you saw who the teams you were playing with, and it was like, we're here, maybe this is the only one, let's just go and see what happens and give it everything, and that's the end of it. Yeah, um, you know, I think we were, we were in great shape physically going into the tournament. Um, you know, when we did our last kind of set of fitness testing, uh, whatever it was, probably about a month or two before we went over. Um, a lot of people were hitting PBs or nearing PBs. So when you have the bulkier squad in that kind of a nick and not many people carrying little niggles, you're, you're automatically feeling in good shape because you know you're going over with the best squad that you could possibly take. Um, and then in terms of the kind of one thing that I felt, and I think maybe a lot of people felt it as well, was our level of preparation. So... Um, you know, we, we knew who we were going to be facing in the in the group stages and we knew our, our kind of likely initial crossover. And we spent a lot of time um, in in our camps prior to the World Cup, analyzing video, analyzing players. And I think the player analysis was was something that we definitely focused on on more, you know, in the numbers of the opponents that you're going to come up against and what's our strength, where can you exploit her and, you know, really having a good individual understanding of the people you're coming up against on top of the stuff you're going to work as on a, as a team to try and, you know, capitalise on any opportunities you get and, and try and negate their threat. So I think um, we had put a lot, an awful lot of time into the preparation prior to actually stepping out onto the pitch. So when it did come to game day, I mean, you don't know what the outcome's going to be before you step on the pitch, but you're feeling, okay, well, whatever it is, I'll, you know, I'll be able to accept it because I feel as prepared as I possibly can be going into this game. What is it like? The atmosphere over in London, there was obviously massive crowds. How, how is that atmosphere? Has there been anything since that's compared maybe the Olympic qualifiers or was that still the, the pinnacle at this point? Yeah. Um, both events were, were amazing. The atmosphere around London, um, the way they'd set up the tournament um, was, it's something I'll never, ever forget. And um, I suppose what made it a little bit nicer in Ireland was we had the weather in London. We didn't quite have the weather in Ireland when we went to, to qualify for, for Tokyo, but um it was just the fact that we'd shocked everybody and, you know, you'd kind of be walking around or you'd be chatting to your friends or your parents who were over watching some of the games. And as each other nation um, became eliminated at whatever round, 
everyone was like, oh, you know what? Fuck the Ireland. Let's go with Ireland. Like they're, you know, they're an up and coming team. They're, they're, you know, one that nobody thought to watch, but look at them go and look how great it is in the country. And, and also they're playing a nice style of hockey. And, and all of a sudden you have, um, like English people supporting Ireland, which you never usually have. And you have American people supporting Ireland. And just generally speaking, teams came and they, they were wearing a little bit of green. Um, so the atmosphere was just electric there. And then the setup, the, 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 the kind of fire coming out when you're running out onto the pitch and um, the crowds were just absolutely massive. And it's something that I'll never forget. And, you know, I, I wish there'd be loads more opportunities to, to compete in something like that. And, and, and I suppose the only thing that's come close to it, as you did mention, is, is those two matches where we played against Canada, um, you know, in, around about Halloween time, two years ago now, to, to qualify for the Olympics. Um, you know, that, that's the only thing that's come close to it uh, with the pitch that got, you know, built and laid down on top of a rugby pitch in, um, in Donnybrook and, you know, setting a record number of fans to come and watch a women's sporting events. Like when you just kind of look back and you hear about those type of things, it does make it all that more special that you were able to be a part of that. Absolutely, and look, I'll, I'm really honest. I was one of the surprised ones. I was like, "Oh, they beat them! Oh, oh, they beat them! Oh, we are they're on a roll now! Oh, damn!" Like I'll be honest, yeah. I'm one of those. I was the bandwagon. Yeah, oh, fully jumped on it by the end. <laughs> uh, was uh, was there any personal little bit of uh, joy in knocking the US out, having played over there yourself? Was there a little bit of satisfaction in that? Yeah, absolutely. I actually had two friends who who were playing against them. One of which I was in Syracuse with um, whenever we played against the States that day in our in our opening group game. Um, we knew we knew that if we wanted to, to do well, they'd be a team we'd have to knock over. Um, and you know, uh, we beat them three one. And um, I'm not going to say it felt comfortable at all because you know the game moved at such a fast pace and you know we didn't have a an incredible track record against the states over my playing career anyway so um it was just kind of like this feeling of not only do you get to be there and competing on this stage we've started really well we've knocked out a team that's you know ranked a good bit above us that has been to the olympics that we failed to qualify for like you know we're here to take notice of us and it, and it was nice then to you know as irish team sometimes you know you put in a great performance but the scoreboard's not looking in our favor um and now it was and you know it was a great start to uh to the group games and it just went on from there I was going to ask you if that if that game was kind of the settler and and obviously it sounds like it that one of like ah oh, okay we're here now we just no, we just took a scalp sweet let's go let's have you yeah, yeah uh, something like that do you have any uh, any particular memories from that obviously you you stepped up the semi final was the semi final mm-hmm. you were the winner yeah is that your fondest memory or is that a little bit of a blank. No, it's definitely not a blank. I would be pretty sad if that if that memory became a blank. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, I've as I say, I have a lot of um, good memories from the games um, in that World Cup and, and from many tournaments played before. But that one is is super special. And um, when I look back and I see the video clips of it, and um, especially ones that are shot for you know tv where there's a little clip of the crowd in there and there's people like you know like this like holding their breath and when i see that i'm like oh who's this who is going to step up and take this and i'm kind of like oh like i did and <laughs> i don't really know how i just i just remember um bizarrely being somewhat somewhat chilled enough and relaxed enough and you know i, I took one in i took the very first one in the, the the normal kind of uh the first round of five and because i had scored it um i was feeling good i was feeling relaxed and you know it's it's always tied against spain so i kind of thought you know it's looking like we could have the sudden death here and if we do you know y- usually someone who's feeling good feeling confident because they've just scored would be most likely to go again so between myself and chloe uh the two Irish players who had scored you know i kind of said i'd take it and that was that kind of thing and and, and because I, I was fortunate again you know we went second in that sudden death um 
penalties. So because Aisha had, had saved the Spanish one, it was that little bit of extra pressure taken off because, you know, score and we win, we're going to the final, but miss and Chloe's got to do it next. So uh, it was a little bit more relaxed. That's a nice ace in the back pocket there, knowing that she's she's going to come in afterwards and you've got a yeah. shot at it. Uh, was it your banker? Do you have a banker? No, I don't. And the girls would always flag me about it because, um, you know, it didn't go so well for me. The next time I took a sudden death wouldn't be one. But um, I don't have a, a banker. I don't think you can nearly at the moment because the standard's getting so high and you're not ever sure what the goalkeeper is going to do. So, uh, you know, you have a couple of things that, you, you know, you want to make sure that you're moving them and, you know, you have a little bit of a game plan in your head. But I wouldn't want to go in with this is exactly what I'm going to do because, you know, keeper could do something that you're not expecting and, and then you got to think off the cuff. So, um so, you know, I, I knew I needed to move her and then just kind of went in. I was like, oh, screwed. That is actually key. And as a coach, you coach a lot of kids as well. And they come up and they're like, I'm going to do this. And that's actually probably the their downfall is having that ro- like rock solid. Yep, I'm going to do this because that is just going to lead you to choke because you have no idea what's going to happen. You might trip over the yeah. ball, you might move it the wrong way. It might go a little bit too far. And it's like you said, having a couple of uh, little little keys that you want to hit and keep it simple but then you've got the freedom to play around that right? that's the always the best approach for 1v1s you really you really can't do any more than that and if you try to you're probably not going to score or you're probably not going to score consistently for sure um we jump ahead then so huge you come back on a massive high from winning a silver medal uh parade through the streets and all pretty pretty sweet i'd say that's up there in uh in all-time memories then you start going into an Olympic cycle and obviously COVID shut that down pretty, pretty quick. But what was the difference there? There's a shift in coach and all that. What was, what was the, the next phase like? Um, I suppose um, off the back of the success, um, you know, all of a sudden we were getting a, a pitch built, the national stadium pitch built for us out in Abbotstown. And the idea was to move there as you know, semi-professional athletes, there's a little bit more money coming in um, that enabled us to be carded um, to a certain extent, which was designed to help um, players take a little bit more time off work in order to commit that time to training. Uh, Whereas in the past, you know, typically you would have trained maybe on the weekend and regionally then on a Wednesday evening and been freed up for your club commitments otherwise. Whereas now... Um, that was just shifting a little bit. So, you know, the sport campus is massive. There's loads of different teams and athletes from a variety of sports who train there all the time, as well as the physio sport, nutrition sport, and all the rest of it um, in one centralized base. So that was kind of the way that, that things were looking. And um, also then getting a new coach in the door from New Zealand, Um so he, he came over and he took charge and he had come from a background where I suppose sport in New Zealand is maybe run differently, maybe a little bit better funded or their setup was just uh, different. So I suppose he came in with his ideas of what he wanted to run, how he wanted to run it and was probably met by logistical challenges that face Irish teams and Irish sport. So trying to marry the two of them together resulted in um, kind of like a half week where you were training as a full-time athlete and then the other kind of two days in the week where you could go and work or you could go and um, go to college and try and, you know, take another semester out of the way. Um, So that's the way the setup kind of looked and um, it had uh, massive kind of pros in one sense because you're spending all this time together um and just having everything based around the one spot and the kind of freedom of use of the pitch to a certain extent as well whereas when we were based in ucd it was you know your two hour time slot you're off for the next team coming on and you might get another two hours later on so it was just a little bit more freedom to to flow as the day kind of went you know yeah, that you're getting closer to the professional setup and, and a, a, a proper elite setup, but you're still trying to keep two feet in two camps because you can't really go all the way in on, on either. 
did that maybe um i know you mentioned towards the start as well how you realized that there needed to be a balance of people on the pitch as well as people off the pitch and and the life that goes with it was that what started maybe sort of clashing a little bit more with with where you were at in life and because obviously i know i know you've stepped away and i can only imagine how much that must have done particularly knowing that you're qualified for an olympics and it's coming up and how much you 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 love playing how much did that feed into or did they just the two come to a head at that certain point or how how did that come about yeah it's a a tough one um it was i'd say the process over probably about a two-year period where um you know the from the bitter disappointment of missing out on the Rio cycle to the kind of elation of coming home from London with the silver medal and um I think from coming home from London everybody wanted to see everyone talk to you you're getting all this attention that you know you've never got before and while it was great and you know you know got to meet some cool people and and appear on the late late show and uh, get to meet president and Orson neutron and, and things that were great um, along those lines it also meant he didn't get a chance to switch off at all because it was hockey 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 the whole time even though this time it was positive hockey um but i think then when it came around to okay you know we've enjoyed this ride and um it's been great and you know you're going to be forever remembered as this team who won the first medal in a world cup for ireland um we entered then into a phase of well you know the next thing for us is a qualification process for the tokyo olympics and then to go to the games itself so um that was probably one stress point for myself in terms of I wasn't entering this new phase fresh. I was entering it fatigued, um, which didn't help. But I don't know that I was fully aware that I was fatigued at the time, only until, you know, I, I was into it and realized that I don't have the same amount of time that I had um, in the in programs that were run under different coaches. We were training um, longer, harder, um, you know, much more compact during the week as well. Um, the days, the days were long, and, and listen, they were enjoyable as well. And it was there was something nice in that Sean was pushing us to a level that we'd never been pushed before, and you know, the competitiveness, you know, was through the roof, and the new things we were learning, you know, was just something different than what we'd had previously. But I think you know, when I didn't come in fresh and when I was just being pushed and pushed and pushed every single day, even in like taper weeks, we were, I felt like it wasn't a taper week. It was still being pushed quite hard. And um, it just wore me down a little bit over time. And um, the only other aspect then was that I was, what was I, I was 27, 26, 27 at the time. And I'd finished college and I hadn't really started working and I wanted to progress my life. I wanted a career. I wanted to move out of home. I wanted to do all these other things that I felt I couldn't do while, while being in the program that was this intense. So, you know, for me, my enjoyment was just slipping away and that just made the whole process harder so you know it nearly it nearly got to the stage where I was on a countdown to the Europeans and a countdown to this game against Canada and it just wasn't right you know I, I had to you know take a little bit of a break after we played those games against Canada and, and you know disengage completely from staff from players and, and a lot of those players are quite close friends of mine but I didn't want to see anybody I just wanted to be completely separate from hockey I didn't want to go back to club hockey I just wanted to progress another area of my life and um, I suppose then after Christmas time came and, and it was all kicking off again to qualify or to actually go to the Olympics once we had qualified it was this last kind of push you know the six months worth of you know, let's get through this. This is what I've wanted since I was uh, since I was a teenager. When I started playing hockey at a, at a at a good level, I always wanted to go to Olympics. And just over time, that just changed, and it was no longer a goal. And I don't know exactly what point that was at. It was just a slow process of this is draining me, and I'm not enjoying it. And um, something's got to change. So whenever 
um, it was delayed by a year due to the pandemic. Um, that year was just too much to to want to be there. I, I just wasn't, and my goals and my aims had, had shifted, and uh, it was nearly as simple as that in the end. Almost like a, a like a death by a thousand cuts, I suppose, where it's just those little things start to add up, and then you're yeah. you're going back in after the highs of a World Cup, and you're you, as you said, you realise you're sort of you're already fatigued. You're going, you're drawing from an empty well, and mm. just a recipe for disaster for everybody. Do you think? I don't know if you've given this any thought. Do you think if you had taken a break after the World Cup and not necessarily gotten your house in order, but taken some time for yourself and then come back a little bit fresher, do you think you would have been able to power through? Or do you think it was fairly inevitable um, looking back? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Like, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. If I could go back after the World Cup, yeah, I probably would have taken a break and, and maybe that would have enabled me to play that little bit longer. But I don't know the answer for that. And, you know, we went to Chile in the couple of months after um, the World Cup and that was kind of our first um, trip as a as a squad with a couple of new players coming in and maybe one or two that had stepped away. Um, and, and I really enjoyed that trip. And then slowly afterwards, that was kind of for me when, when I realised, oh, I'm not, I'm just not into this as much as I was. So, you know, if, if I could have said at that point, listen, if I break now, you know, it'll save me for a bit longer, but it's never really as easy as that because, um, you know, each of these major tournaments is, you know, happens every two years, but that interim year is the year that you qualify and, you know, Ireland don't qualify very easily for these events. So, you know, what year do you take off? Do you take off the year you qualify and then you mightn't qualify or do you do the qualification and then take off the actual year of the tournament? So there's, there's no real good time take um, a break and you know I, I you know before I I stepped away from the squad um you know I, I did take a break myself last summer and my hopes were that with this kind of you know two or three months off that I would um, be a little bit rejuvenated and ready to enter back into the squad come September which was kind of the the decision time that um I was given to to you know, be in or out and, you know, in, in some ways it's unfortunate. And, and if I could wake up tomorrow morning and say, listen, I want to, I want to get back in, you know, I, I would love that because I'd have this set of purpose, this goal, this ambition, but it's just not there anymore. So, um, you know, there's also a nice thing in that because I don't regret it stepping away, even though, um, I haven't played the Olympics and, and I won't play in Olympics. Um, you know, it's it was still the right decision for me and I think that was the, that was what I was afraid of that I would maybe have made the wrong decision um and regretted it but um bizarrely <laughs> stepping away and not going to the Olympics seems like the right decision for me it's uh, it's amazing to hear how sort of at peace you are with that because I know there was yeah. it's not not an easy thing by no by any stretch but I think it mm. really does sound like it was the right thing do you think COVID came at the right time where it was kind of, you got to enjoy yourself even more, uh, especially over that summer where, okay, we're locked down, but you know, there isn't an Olympics. You get to just kind of relax and kick back and, you know, uh, you've got a, a Pembroke boyfriend as well, keeping it in the club, uh, <laughs> spend some time with him away from a hockey pitch. It was actually a bit of a blessing in, in disguise. I know you try to find your positives where you can with COVID, but I suppose it's a nice opportunity to just kick back and relax. Uh, I mean, COVID has brought has brought too many positives. I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a blessing in disguise because, um, you know, I, I don't know whether I would have been selected or not to play in that tournament. But, um, you know, for for everyone involved, they've obviously um, recalculated their extra year now that they're training for. But I think a lot of people were likely to go ahead and, and COVID not to have um, kind of, you know, put its stamp on the world in the way that it has. 
um, it certainly made my decision a lot easier for me because I wasn't able to to go on for the extra kind of year that it has pushed pushed us back. But for an awful lot of players, especially as young players, it might give them a, them an extra year of development and an extra year of exposure, and therefore a greater chance of maybe sneaking one of those spots on the plane um, over somebody who who has a bit more experience than them. So I think every player um, will. Will look differently and, and maybe it causes a little bit more stress on the players who are thinking about retirement after the games and all of a sudden you know they have to do another year of um combining work with with playing at this level and for you know many different reasons um you know i i enjoyed getting to spend time doing things on my watch um you know uh last summer for sure but um that was also a time where I had a couple of really big decisions to make and it wasn't as if I was able to switch off because I knew I had to make them and that time was closing in on me very quickly. Yeah, they're still hanging over over everything to do, I suppose. I can only imagine how difficult it is, especially, like, as you said, those players that were thinking of retiring and they're like, oh, God, I have to get up for another year of playing. I'm sure they're all the type of person that will have no problem doing that, but I can only imagine the battles going on in there when the when that realization comes out um future was do you do you ever see yourself go getting back involved or trying to push to get back into the team or do you think that part of your your time is is done for now or never say never um i don't know like i'm, I'm still only 28 um which some people Fine. tell me is very old but uh yeah I know. so uh i i wouldn't say i wouldn't say never like the way the way I'm approaching it right now is is probably I don't have a, I don't have a desire to to go back in, um, but if something changed over the next year or so and the World Cup cycle is is coming along and I don't know what that looks like at the moment because of the pandemic that we're in I don't know what those qualification tournaments um, will entail or when they'll be they'll be held but um, if I did at some stage over the next couple of months you know change my mind and really get this burning desire to go back I would have to probably get myself back into the shape I needed to hit the fitness scores I would I used to hit in order to to survive uh, for want of a better word in uh, in the environment that's currently there but um I would hope that if that day did come that um you know it would be an option that would be available to me but as I say for right now um, I'm pretty content with uh, you know pursuing my life in the next chapter Fair, I suppose it's not even like we're playing hockey and you've you've got the bug. You're not even we're, we're not playing anything at all. There's no nothing. I know I do miss it because the hardest thing probably about lockdown is that you know for my entire life I've never ever ever had to plan exercise. Never had to plan the gym. It's like you have to be here from this time to this time. You're doing this, that, and the other, and it was so simple. You just showed up and you said you know everything was there for you. And now you know being at home like oh. Uh, you know it's, it's been probably two weeks i haven't exercised properly yet you know i better pencil in some time so it, that's actually you know challenging enough you know as uh, working at a full-time job at the moment like to to make sure that i am um getting the exercise i need although it doesn't have to be push myself to the absolute limits um and the other the other big aspect of it of um kind of adapting to my new life now is is in terms of nutrition because you know you can eat a lot <laughs> when you're training that hard um and all of a sudden i'm not so if i was continue eating like that um you know i'd have to be taking down the side handles on this chair so uh you know it, it, it did lots to kind of adapt um adapt to at the same time yeah uh you get away with murder when you're in in that much of an intense program i imagine yeah it all it all just disappears um would you would you ever consider playing abroad like uh like proper playing professional or has has that ever come across uh your table yeah it has a couple of times because i i did my year in the states um and then um i don't I can't remember what year it was but it but i remember graham shaw an old coach uh of the national side was was trying to get me to play in uh, Belgium or Germany or somewhere basically just go abroad for the year and, and gain the experience um, and the exposure of continental Europe hockey but um, I was doing my 
degree I was trying to finish off my degree that I had already kind of delayed a little bit due to taking that year in the States um, and then splitting my final year over an extra semester just because of the demands of the sport so I was kind of I was already two years behind um, my peer group and for me I wanted to get that just done and dusted off my plate and then um, maybe when I did possibly look to go and play abroad once Sean came in and, and took over the reins as head coach he he wanted everybody, um, essentially everybody based in, in Ireland to be able to train and to to be there for the kind of semi-professional setup that, that had just started. So it wasn't at that point really an option to be away. You just couldn't be flying that much. Um, I had spoken to a number, especially the lads, who um, it's more common for them to be playing abroad and, you know, how you're finding it and um, what, what's it like and everything. And you know a lot of them were saying it's it's draining because of the travel that you have to do and uh, you could find yourself on a on a midnight flight landing at you know two or three o'clock in the morning and then getting up for a full day of training the next day and over time the kind of common theme was that really just wears you down and um i i didn't want to do it yeah i heard that that whole situation was pretty grueling uh particularly the way they had it set up and in the months building up to the olympic qualifiers it sounded like nothing anybody wanted to be a part of just yeah great to be able to have better access to dutch and whatever but just probably yeah. worth it for everybody especially the ones that have to travel all the time um i suppose well, well what do you see for pembroke what do you hope to get at i suppose this is the one place that maybe the the trophies haven't quite clicked and they haven't quite come yet is that yeah goal if we manage to get back on a hockey pitch at some point yeah you know listen i'm i'm really missing um, playing in Pembroke um, it was it was for the last little while where I was getting my enjoyment from and which in relation to the sport and um, and you know it was disappointing that we uh, disappointing and understandable that the season didn't go ahead but it's you know it's kind of two seasons now that just haven't really taken off and you know you think you take strides forward and then you're you're kind of you're halted a little bit so um you know for the, for the time being anyway like I, i'm really enjoying my time there and um maybe it makes me nearly take for granted a little bit how lucky i was and how fortunate i was to to be in a position with hermes and with ucd to have won so much and probably didn't realize how hard it is to actually do that um because you know we, we essentially a, a mid-table team with pembroke which is um which is tough because I'm not used to not being in the finals four weekend at the end of the season. And I'm not used to not fighting for, for trophies and medals. And it's probably the biggest thing that I, that I want to try and, and shift um, if I can across the next couple of years playing in Pembroke. And um, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of work that needs to happen um, on the pitch, off the pitch to just help us um, just get that little bit extra few points during the season and put ourselves in um kind of position you want to be in heading towards the final stretch um but you know what at the same time it's so exciting because for the first time you know i really really have to work at the club scene um because it's not coming as easily as it was when you're playing on a team in ucd with like you know 11 internationals on your team you're expected to win stuff and we did and and now the internationals are spread a lot more scarcely over um a greater number of clubs which is a good thing um but um it's it's on the to-do list at some stage hopefully hopefully next season yeah i i suppose that uh covid really has put a spanner in the works for two seasons as you said you know the 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 wheels are rolling, albeit slowly. You, things are starting to click. You're starting to get more results over teams that you hadn't in previous years. And the ball is starting to go. And then it's just whoosh, gone. And then this season, you start getting the ball rolling, feeling good through preseason, and whoosh, gone. So yeah. it's, it is on the timing could not be worse. COVID aside, it's just you guys were re- certainly seen to be starting to genuinely build momentum season on season. Uh, hopefully, you guys will be able to recapture that now. As, as soon as we get started back up, I know obviously Sammy's working away in the background and stuff to some extent, and I'm sure Gavin and the crew and, and everyone's just chipping away as best they can. Be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully we'll be able to get back into some semblance of, of normal and, and get a bit of a preseason and, and get going, maybe even some, some social hockey over the summer. No, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to that because 
I think like social hockey has to be the highest injury risk game ever. Like, you know, you're playing at these levels, you know, like crazy levels uh, on, a, on an international stage and you manage to say injury free and you go down for 10 minutes to social hockey and someone sends a ball into your face and they've whacked your shins and and because of that, I've never really done it. But I'm, I'm looking forward now to go down and actually have a bit of a laugh and mix it and, um, you know, with a club sense with players coming from vets, from men's and ladies' ones, filtering down all the way through the teams in the club and, and people coming down who have never played before. And it's something kind of special and a different way to get involved with a club setup that I really haven't been able to do um, in the past um, for, for numerous reasons. But um, it will be nice, hopefully, if something gets up and running um, next year. And, and I suppose with, with the extra bit of time that I have, you know, can, he, can you get involved a little bit more on, on different aspects of the club, whether it be with coaching, whether it be with um, all these new COVID restrictions that you have to kind of abide by in whatever kind of shape or form. It'll be nice now to have the time and I suppose with the experience that I've managed to, to gather over the last couple of years to see if you can help in some way shape or form with with new players and coaches and everything coming through the club so it, it's a it's a different challenge and, and one that hopefully um with the with the thumbs up from the government and all the restrictions being lifted that can go ahead next year absolutely well fingers crossed because i think the the club will benefit the club always benefits from people getting more and more involved but having the experience that you've had over the years and you know the the winning of trophies and stuff i think that can all bleed down into whether it be the youngsters who are learning from you or or just sharing your experience like you said with the vets and stuff on the team on the social team i think everyone wins when when people get more involved in that way and especially like the time commitment maybe with ones and stuff and especially then as an international uh that kind of stuff does does maybe go by the wayside and i think sometimes it gets noticed but it definitely endears you, you to the rest of the club certainly when when you get that little bit more face time and I sort of had the experience myself over the, over the years where you just get a little bit more involved and it just makes that life a little bit, a little bit easier, a little bit more fun around the club, a little bit, a few more interactions. It's not just down game face play. Um, yeah. Oh, Jill, I'm going to, I'll let you go there because I, we've been going on for quite a while and I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to talk to me for so long. Um, you've been an absolute star. Uh, any, any parting thoughts uh, as we finish up here? No, I'm just really looking forward to getting back onto the pitch now. I've, I've missed it. Going from from all to nothing is, is too much of a gap. I'm really looking forward to getting back on. So um, so thank you very much for, for taking the time to talk to me. No problem at all. Uh, we'll leave it there and we'll talk to you all again.